Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Jamie Varon, writer, designer, digital course creator and creative consultant living in California. Today we're talking about her brilliant book, Radically Content, being satisfied in an endlessly dissatisfied world. If you enjoy Jamie's musings, vignettes and writing over on her Instagram, where she reaches thousands of people with her message around being radically content, you'll absolutely love this book and having a physical copy of Jamie's words. Jamie and I crossed paths online years ago in the blogging space. We were writing on the internet donkeys years ago and this topic of creating your own inner value system and changing up your idea of success is something I'm also writing about at the moment and just so into discussing what it really means to feel like you're enough in a world that always wants you to feel like you're less than. So we had a really great chat and we basically caught up on everything to do with the internet over the last decade in the space of two episodes. So I hope you enjoy this one. This is part one of our conversation and make sure you go and check out part two when you are finished. I hope you enjoy and here it is. So I'm very excited to have the wonderful Jamie on the podcast we were just saying before I press record that this was always going to happen. We've crossed paths for so many years now, and I'm just so excited to get to talk to you for the duration of this podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, me too. I mean, we've been like crossing paths so many times. Um, It's just, it's wonderful to finally like get to connect like this in this capacity. So true. And I feel like so much of what you talk about at the moment is so where I'm at and I do find that quite magical about the internet because you obviously live the other side of the world to me. And yet there are so many synchronicities with the stuff we're writing about and thinking about. And I love that. I love that you can find like-minded people anywhere. So really excited to dig into your new book, which just has the best title ever, by the way. It just is what it says on the tin, Radically Content. Can't wait to dive into what that actually means for you. But I really wanted to start off before we get into all the amazing work you're doing now, you do paint a picture of what life was like before you found this way of living. Because I do feel like it's a it's a lifestyle choice as well as anything else. You talk about in the introduction or even early in the book that you used to love pessimism and that you felt that negativity gave you an edge. This really spoke to me. I feel like I would wake up in the morning and try and find what was wrong with my day. Could you talk a little bit about the Jamie that feels so different to who you are now. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I seriously think about that almost every day where I'm like, I really did the change. Like, I mean, I really changed a lot because um, I mean, growing up, especially in my twenties, I really thought like happiness was for people who were super delusional. You had to lie to yourself in order to be happy. Um, it meant like, if you're paying attention, you're not going to be happy, like, because the world is just so hard. And, you know, my interpretation of how the world was, how it was growing up, like I was, I I was bullied. There were certain things that happened to me. I didn't feel good in my body. I was like, you know, happiness is not something 
you can choose. This was, um, I felt that that was a really harmful type of thinking. And my interpretation of the world being like that wasn't to seek joy, seek happiness. It was to confirm for me that like people are the worst. Nothing's ever really going to work out. Like you got to work really hard. The only thing you can do is really try to, um, like I had a rebellious streak, but mostly I was like, I'm just going to achieve my way into some sort of idea of happiness because at least I can control that. Everything else felt really out of my control. And so, I mean, I was very inconsistent. I talk about this in the book. I got myself into a lot of debt. I just sort of lived like really in a toxic way, like for the moment where I wasn't even thinking about the future at all. And I really thought like, happy people. They were either just born like that, or they probably had some sort of privilege that I didn't have. They, maybe they grew up with money. That was my big chip on my shoulder. Cause I grew up in a really affluent town, but I didn't have the money. Um, and so I always thought like, Oh, they probably like grew up with money. That's how they, that's mm-hmm. how they do the work that they do. That's how they're happy. All of this, which like obviously informed how I thought about myself and the, what I thought I needed in order to be happy. So, yeah, I mean, it was a real departure from where I'm at now. I, I don't think people really could believe it, but it's like, I use this. I don't even use this example in the book, but I'll talk about it now. My family used to know me as like the complainer. I was the one that I I complained all the time. Every time we went on trips, I'm the one complaining. It's not good enough. I'm tired. My feet hurt. I don't want to be here. I'm hot. Like my mom would be like, you got to stop with this complaining. Like I was the Debbie Downer of my whole family, which is in like so funny to me now because I'm like, I'm now the the one that everyone goes to if they need to be encouraged and they need like a dose of, you know, some energy and joy or anything. And I'm like, I was the one that just complained. My mom was like, you're such an overthinker. You're going to drive yourself crazy, which I did. And so it's just really different that now I'm like, I'm the one that people come to if they need things like sorted out in their head Mm -hmm. and they, they, and they're the ones overthinking mostly because I mean, when you've gone through it, like there was no, I, I, that's how I was able to write radically content is, I mean, you know, as a writer, you have to experience it firsthand, not always, but it really helps when you're writing nonfiction. Yeah, that's really, really true. And I, and we'll get into it in a bit more detail around that sort of self-protection mindset and how it is vulnerable to be sentimental, to be happy, to be joyful, to lean into this stuff. Like we've got to crack ourselves open in many ways. But you mentioned there about privilege and money and things like that. And I know that you talk about in the book how those things are all sort of linked up together. And it's not a formula, like if you have money, you're happy and all that stuff. There's so much nuance there. But you start the book with a note on privilege. I thought that was really interesting and really self-aware. What made you want to write that short note before you kind of dived into the book? Yeah, I guess. uh, So the thing that was happening as I was writing was I started to gain this sort of self-awareness and um, kind of concern that my words could be skewed as like, mostly because I only have the perspective that I have, you know, and I've tried to widen that perspective by hearing from lots of different people, but I also like, I've only lived what I've lived. And I just wanted to make sure that from the outset, I was kind of noting that 
self-help can be simplified too often. You know, often we can just like read something that it's like, I can't, that can't apply to me. You know, I can't do that. Um, and I think it makes it worse when it seems like the author doesn't really have that awareness and is just like, well, I mean, if you can't do it, that's on you. Or if like, if this isn't your reality, that's your fault. And it's not like a systemic issue that, you know, people deal with. And so I just wanted to like note that out for myself, but also for others who would start reading this. Like, that's why I put it right at the beginning. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't oversimplifying things that nobody, the worst thing that I can think of is like someone would read this book and feel worse about themselves or feel like they need to do more or achieve more. Or now they have this huge list of things that now they have to do. Like, I just wanted someone to close that book and be like, okay, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm good. I'm doing enough. Like I am enough. You know? Yeah. I really like that because I agree. And I think books can't be absolutely everything to absolutely everyone because there's so many people that, different people that will pick up a book. But having that note, it's like, okay, cool. Thank you. And then you get to just move on and, and read it and read it in your voice. And I, and I love that. And I think so many people are going to relate to it. But could we talk a little bit about achieve, achievement and chasing dreams from two perspectives? Because you talk about how chasing the dream kind of ruined your life a little bit at the beginning. You know, it almost took over and you were almost, and we've all been there. I really related to it where you're kind of forcing it a bit too much and you're kind of, you're kind of miserable because it hasn't happened yet. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. But what was quite amazing is when you let go, actually suddenly all of that stuff started to happen for you. And I know that simplifies things maybe slightly, but your mindset changed and then so much changed. It's so true. I mean, my mindset was I'm not worthy or valuable until I achieve this list of things that's in my mind. You know, that was absolutely, I believed that wholeheartedly never even, you know, considered there was an alternative. Um, the alternative was like, you're complacent, you're lazy, you're giving up like you're, that's it. Um, and so I really, what happened was I got, I was so burnt out. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. Cause I don't think the term burnout was really like in popular, you know, like mainstream or anything. I was just like exhausted. I mean, I, I, I even, there was a time where I would sit down to write and I would get so tired. Like I would open the document. I'd be yawning, like yawning with tears running down my eyes, close the computer. And I was totally awake. And I was like, okay, like, I guess this is, it was this. And I was forcing it and forcing it. Like, no writers, they write every day. You've got to work at this every day. And I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, if I have to feel like this, if I have to feel this miserable, this stressed, this anxious about myself, all the time, this much in doubt, I give up. Like truly I'll give up. I'll go, you know, my, my vision was always, and this is not even true because now I've been to Barcelona, but like my vision was always like, I'll just go open a bar in Barcelona and like live on the beach. You know, that's not true in <laughs> Barcelona, but probably somewhere else that could happen. Um, but I was like, just so, so burnt out from that hustle mentality and from thinking that, I was just one achievement away from being happy. 
And this was when you were working on the book deal, just for the listeners. It was, it's ironic in a way that in the acknowledgements, you say this book flowed out of you quite easily compared to that when you were in the hustle culture mentality. Oh yeah. Everything has been so different. I mean, having this book come out and all the promo, all the time spent, the time writing it, it has all been, I mean, it's been challenging because it takes a significant amount of time, you know, I mean, it takes time, it takes boundaries, you have to like prioritize it, but it hasn't drained me. Whereas like just sitting down to write used to drain me. And I would think, I guess I'm not meant to be a writer or, you know, this is my, this is proof that I've been looking for that I'm not good enough. And, you know, when you sit down to do something creative and the first thought is, is it good enough yet? And you haven't even started. I mean, that's toughy. Like that's Mm -hmm. a real hard thing to get past because you'll never, it's like not even an achievable thing. You can't really ever feel good enough. You know, even people who, you know, people think we'll put it in the context of writing. I mean, people think once they get a book deal, they'll feel good enough. And it's like, okay, so you sign the book deal. Now you got to edit or write the book. So that's its own thing. Then you got to wait to see what happens when it comes out. And if you're still in that place of, am I good enough? Then it's like how this is received by the world will tell you whether you're good enough. And I just saw, I just saw all of this happening in my head, all of this going on, like, how much money the book deal is, is will tell me I'm good enough. What it does in the world will tell me if I'm good enough. What agent picks me, this, this, this. And I was like, I'm exhausted. Like I'm actually exhausted. And also I had this real, like, no one's forcing me to write, you know, like, it's like, this, this is my art. Don't I want to enjoy it a little bit? Like it's my gift. Why am I treating it like a burden? Um, Which was just another thing that I realized in taking some time away from it, you know, and I didn't take, I had to still make money and work and everything, but I was doing, I've always had a design business where I do graphic design. And that has always really helped me because I don't have those same feelings about it. I don't have the self-doubt. I don't have the, am I good enough yet? I'm just like... I have this skill as a designer. I have clients. It's very simple. And I was like, can I just get to the place where my writing feels like that ever? And if it doesn't, I'll never write again. Like I told myself, I was like, you will never write again. If you have to be this miserable to do it, it is not worth it. Like it was another thing, you know, having my husband reflected back to me too. He was like, do you even like writing? Like what's, what, what are you so stressed? And like all this. And I had really taken on that, like, you know, you got to be struggling in order to make it, you have to sacrifice all of this. And when I changed that and I decided, I was like, it gets to be easy. It gets to be joyful. It gets to be fun. That's the only way you get to pick up this, this gift again, everything changed, like Mm -hmm. everything, I'm now right now, there's some things I can't even like discuss yet, but like right now I am in process of every single thing that I have wanted to bring to fruition. Like, and and it just sort of happened. And I'm like, whoa, that is magical. Well, on that note, I was just thinking of magical. It's why I read Big Magic every time I sit down to do, write a project or start a new thing, because, you know, it is kind of mad that 
our human brain gets confused. We think that being scared of writing a poem is like the same as being scared that we're going to be attacked by a bear in a forest. It's like, there's nothing really to be afraid of, but we are, loads of us are, and it can really get in the way. And for a lot of people, they can be so creative, but so blocked. And it's really painful, such a painful thing to go through. But could we talk a little bit about, um, you know, you touched on it a little bit there, but there's a chapter in the book called I'll Be Happy When. And essentially, you know, you're putting your life on pause, aren't you? When you are thinking, I'll be happy when X, Y, and Z happens. Could you talk about that chapter? Because I loved it. Yeah, that's so funny. Everyone brings that chapter up. <laughs> it's like, you never know which are going to be the ones that people really, um, well, what, first, before I answer that, I want to say that I, so much of what you've done in the world has inspired me in the way that you're so prolific. You, you ideate and put things out there. Like you were just saying that you always read big magic. And I'm like, I always read big magic too. Like it's cause it's so helpful in just getting you out of your head. But also I remember when I started writing my novel, I was like, Emma did it like Emma, <laughs> Emma did the novel with the nonfiction stuff. Like you really paved a way for me to do that. So that was really inspiring. Mm. So just want to yeah, point that so out nice before I hear. forgot. You never know really how things are going down. So that's so nice. Thank you. Oh my God. You showed me, I think that like you could be the multi-passionate and actually thrive with that. Cause I was like, I didn't see, I always thought you had to pick a lane, you know, mm. and you really, you showed me that. So yeah, I'll be happy when, I mean, this was, it's so funny because I actually back in like 2013, I had an outline going for a book called I'll be happy when, like I've been (laughs) obsessed with this concept for a long time um, because it's so universal. And yet for some reason, we don't talk about it that much. Um, This idea that like our happiness, our joy, our fulfillment is always like X, Y, and Z away. It's always some, some far out place that we have to get to, which means in our minds, what happens, and maybe we don't realize this, is that we then start to believe that we need to earn those things. And so if we hadn't, haven't earned it yet, we don't get to be happy, which is likely why a lot of us had a really hard time and still continue to have a hard time resting and taking true time off. I mean, I used to like, if I wasn't thinking about work or working, I was worried about work. So at least I could give it that, you know, like Mm -hmm. my off time, I'm like, well, at least stress about work that feels kind (laughs) of productive. Um, But, you know, if you are always thinking that your happiness and your joy and your life gets to begin when you've achieved these certain things, you can imagine that you don't feel at peace in your daily life. And the thing is that I recognized is that it doesn't actually work. Those, those achievements, you can get X, Y, Z, and you still, it doesn't always guarantee that you're going to be happy. In fact, it's often like you've really put such a high expectation on it that it feels like a lot, like because you've sacrificed. So say you're waiting for this achievement, this goal, and you got it after six months, but you've neglected yourself and sacrificed so much and you're exhausted and you think it's so worth it, but it has to make up for six plus months of like suffering and sacrifice and all of this. And it's really fleeting. I mean, 
that's the thing with like big achievements. I mean, even an achievement as big as like winning a huge award on TV, you know, it's, you get like 30 seconds to give a speech and then it's done. Mm. Like you're done, Mm. you know, and that's the highest, that's one of the most visible honors. Right. And it really, really showed me that I'm not saying I don't like big achievements because I do. You and I are both very ambitious. This is something we share. And yet I don't wait for my whole life to be hinged upon, like my whole life, my whole happiness, everything to be hinged upon those fleeting moments that take usually a very long time to build up to. There's a lot of work that is involved in hitting those kinds of big goals. Mm. Um, Yeah. It, it's so true. And it's interesting. So I was thinking about this because I wrote about a rival fallacy for a magazine a while ago and, and I'd heard the phrase and it was, yeah, around how you, you'll never arrive anywhere. There's no way that you'll suddenly tick off everything and be completely happy forever. But it's interesting because I did feel happier, I think, when my novel came out. I felt like I wanted to write that novel and be a novelist and I felt this relaxation and I felt like I'd reached something that I genuinely think did make me happier. But I think what I'm trying to make peace with now is that it doesn't make me immune to all the other things, the other challenges of life, to sadness, to bad days, to, I don't know, friends and family having problems. I think it doesn't take me to a different level of life of like happiness, but I think it did fulfill a part of me. And I, and so, so sometimes I feel like it's okay as well to admit that sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that I hope I got across in the book too, is that like achievements, wonderful. Like it really is. I mean, especially, and see, here's the difference though, Emma, why I think that it created a real genuine happiness for you is because notice that you didn't say that, oh, I really loved I felt genuine happiness because I got a book deal and then it like went on to do things in the world. You know, like you were like, I really wanted to do that my whole life. Like I wanted that challenge. I rose to the challenge. I put in the time and energy. I mean, as someone who has also written a novel, it is a significant time and energy. It's very different than nonfiction. I mean, you have to really, it takes time and it's, so I think the, what you got was the fulfillment of you seeing through something that you have always wanted to do in a very genuine way. And that's very different than how we look at achievement to make us happy as like, it'll be impressive to other people. And that's so true because that's just made me think that actually even saying that it's not really a, I'll be happy when moment because I was happy when I was doing it. Yeah, I was right. happy. I was happy whilst I was writing it. So actually I was happy when I did it, but I was also happy before. <laughs> and before you knew it was going to be published, I would assume, yeah. you know, I mean, you thought it would be because you've, you've published other books, but you know, you were writing it just because it, it like was fun and exciting and challenging and you wanted to see if you could. And that's, what's really interesting because what we often do is the complete opposite of like, or what we've been told is suffer through the writing, suffer through all of it. And then because once you get there, it's so impressive that you got like a book deal, that that's the thing that'll make you happy. When actually, when you look back on like the times when you were most fulfilled, you're like, oh, it was enjoying all of the journey, all Mm -hmm. of the moments of it. 
instead of like probably seeing your cover for the first time was so fun. And it wasn't, it's not just in this one fleeting moment. Cause what, what often happens then is we don't celebrate those small moments. Like we don't even celebrate that journey because even the journey gets tainted by, well, but how's it going to do? How are people going to receive it? And it's like, well, how did I feel? This is, this is the day that I'm in. How did I feel writing it and, and enjoying that process? Like that's such an important part of it, but we often kind of, that's like the last thing we think about is like, what's my own enjoyment in this? It's so true. I mean, I think you and I don't, but like you and I, we kind of do this, but I'm just saying like in general, I wasn't always like that. So I would never, I always thought like the process should be hard and that's how you earn the accomplishment. Like if it's easy, what's, what do you really get out of that? And I'm like, oh my God, she's so misguided. The past version of me. Oh, I'm with you on that. And but then you sort of have to go through all that, don't you, to learn, which is the annoying thing. But I'm it's so interesting. I, I really love that we're talking about this because I think we don't talk about it enough because when I wrote my first book when I was twenty six, I had a huge anticlimax after it came out. I felt so down because I was clinging on so hard for all of those things. Where's my trophy? Where's my stuff? And it was so misguided. And now, you know, having spoken about the novel, I was happy. I I didn't have that anticlimax after the novel came out because I just came at it from a different angle. And I love that you write about this stuff and it's always a good reminder as well for anyone. Um, But can we talk about the title? Because I think it's really important that it's called Radically Content because it is radical, isn't it? In in this world, in this capitalist world that wants us to think about work 24 seven and do everything and be everything and and buy everything. could you talk about how it is radical? This outlook is radical. We're basically saying, I don't want to participate in that external value system. Yeah. I mean, well, what I came to was I was like, oh, this is contentment. You know, it kind of snuck up on me that how I was feeling and what I was building toward was contentment. And I was like, oh, but contentment is, is it is actually controversial, Like people ask me a lot about this. They're like, what do you say to people who are really skeptical about contentment? And I'm like, I mean, (laughs) like, that's like saying like, what do you say to people who are really skeptical about joy? It's like, um, I mean, because I don't think contentment is actually that like it's radical what you said, like it's radical in our current world and how things are set up. But actually, like I was even watching Bridgerton um, the other day and they use the word content all the time in that show. I was like, oh, my God, that's like it's everywhere. They talk about, you know, and that's like speaking to a different time period. But they use content as a replacement for happiness, like as peace, contentment, peace in your life and calmness in your life. And I thought about that and I was like, isn't that what we want? Like we want at least a foundation of feeling at peace with where we're at, with where we're, you know, how we're feeling about ourselves. Like it shouldn't be any kind of like controversy or radical thing to say, like, I like myself as I am. And from there I can achieve certain things and have goals and that like, it just kind of amplifies it. And then I don't have to have my, all of my worth and value on what I achieve or don't achieve because 
It's also, speaking of privilege, I mean, not everyone has the access and the resources to be able to achieve huge, huge things. Like we love the exceptions to the rule, the person, the underdog that climbed the ranks and with their bootstraps and all of this, but like, especially in America, love that. We love that story, you know, but we love the story of everyone just work hard and you'll achieve your dreams. Yeah. And then you'll be fulfilled about that. No. And I'm speaking to like majority of people, not the exceptions to the rule, because we do tend to fixate on the exceptions. Like we love, you know, people who achieve like 17 under 17, you know, all these people who have these big moments in their youth, like we're just so obsessed with the exceptions, but most of us just kind of, and I'm not saying like we're average because I think everyone's amazing, but it's just, most of us just aren't exceptions to the rule. And that's actually kind of freeing. Because then we can just like find out the gifts that we have. We don't have to be determined whether we're falling behind or not good enough because of our age or our body type, our race or any of this. It's just like we can just exist and do the things that we're called to do um, and the things that just like light us up and make us happy. And I'm like saying that even like, oh, that's a radical thing to say, to be like you, we all also, it's kind of radical to say like, do we all want the same things? Like we're, we've been taught to all want the same things. And yet we all have different interests. Like, I don't know why someone loves to collect coins. That's not my thing, but someone has that joy, you know, like, and that's cool. Like some people they're painters, whereas we're writers like this, there's a reason for that. We're not all supposed to like fall into line and fall into the same thing. And so, you know, why I had to put radically into the title was because I just felt like I'm presenting a very simple idea that the way that our world is now, we're so far away from simplicity. We've made happiness and joy so complicated. Like you got to get this, you got to look like this. You got to have this social media. You got to have this kind of life. You got to have that kind of kitchen. You got to do this. That's happiness. And it's like, No, I mean, those all things, those, all those things can add to your life, but really having that foundation of peace and acceptance and not in an acceptance, like, oh, I give up now I'm complacent. It's just like, I like myself as I am. I'm enough as I am. My worth and value is unconditional And everything I achieve or do from there, I'm just doing because I want to do it. I want the challenge. I want the experience. Like we don't have to have this crazy intensity to everything. Like everything's so serious and everything has to be, it's like, I think we've really gotten away from just like having some flow and peace and joy in our lives. Like just having like simple joys and like, Mm -hmm. you know, noticing what's around us already and So I, you know, it's really interesting how much of this does seem really radical, does seem really like out of the woods or something. But then I think what happens is then people read it or they think about it and they're like, oh, wait, this is actually like not that hard to do. I mean, you just got to change how you're looking at things. Yeah. It's crazy when you say it like that, actually, that how is it radical just to kind of like yourself more but god that's where we're at apparently 
Hello, and thank you so much for listening to Control-Alt-Delete. This is the end of part one with Jamie Varon. If you're interested in hearing more from wonderful Jamie, go and listen to part two where we continue our discussion. Thank you so much for listening.